the Staff and Graph podcast. This is weird. My lock's been drilled, so I open the door and my steering wheel is missing. In looks or salad. You know what? You're trying very hard not to get sued. You can have all the talent in the world skating around, but if you don't have a goaltender, it does not matter. Team tidy business, baby. Welcome back to the Staff and Graph Podcast. I'm Mike Stevens, and virtually sitting across from me is the future first female GM in NHL history, Rachel Dory. Rachel, do you think we have anything uh, interesting or fun that we're going to do on the show today? We, uh, there might be a second New Jersey Devil joining us on the podcast today. I'm outnumbered. I, 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 they're coming for me. The Devils are coming. We have, we have uh, you know, defenseman, podcaster, um, you know, businessman, coffee uh, aficionado, Connor Carrick. And we, he, just an incredible interview that we had with him. He dropped so many, you know, little, little nuggets of knowledge. Uh, I, I'm a whole different person now. Can't wait for you to hear it. Let's tee it up. Let's do it. Yeah, honestly. Um, and you can find Connor's podcast. It's the, called The Curious Competitor. Um, he's on Instagram. He does Mental Health Monday. He talks about coffee. He's got a really cute dog named Hoagie. Mm-hmm. I was really, uh, really excited when when he agreed to come on, and uh, this completely blew my expectations. Yeah. So uh, we'll shut up now, and uh, we'll let Connor Carrick talk to you. Enjoy. I love that. That is the sound of another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify is a platform designed for anyone to sell anywhere, giving entrepreneurs like me the resources that were once reserved for big business. And it's customized to your needs. You get a great looking online store that really helps bring your ideas to life and tools to manage the day-to-day and drive sales. And I'm speaking about this from experience. I'm really passionate about bass fishing. And a little over five years ago, I started an e-commerce bass fishing brand with my best friend, Aaron, called Woo Tungsten. Actually, it's pronounced Woo Tungsten, W-O-O exclamation mark, because that's the sound you make when you catch a giant bass. And it was a no-brainer to do this on Shopify because they've made it so easy every step of the way, from creating product listings, to making discount codes, to managing shipments. In fact, if you want to see what an e-commerce store looks like on Shopify, go to wootungsten.com and you can see. And it's No wonder that every 28 seconds, a small business owner makes their first sale on Shopify. You can get started by building and customizing your online store with no coding or design experience. And you can gain knowledge and confidence with extensive resources to help you succeed. Plus, with 24-7 support, you're never alone. It's more than a store. Shopify grows with you. This is possibility powered by Shopify. Go to shopify.com slash bluewire, all lowercase, for a free 14-day trial, and you'll get access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Start selling on Shopify today, just like me, just like Woo Tungsten, by going to shopify.com slash bluewire right now. That's shopify.com slash bluewire. Well, we're going to welcome to the show uh, the pride of Orland Park, Illinois, 
Connor Carrick, uh, current NHL defenseman for the New Jersey Devils and also former Toronto Maple Leaf for any of you that, uh, you know, they'll listen to the show with that. Now, before we get into any of the nitty gritty questions here, Connor, thank you so much for coming on, by the way. We can't thank you enough for taking the time to do this. Um, I have I have a quick thing I want to bring up with you. Um, so on February 20th, I tweeted um, a video of it was a Fifth Harmony performance um, and it's a video of them doing the song work and all the all the performers in the background. They're not really doing anything like they're, they're doing kind of like busy work, but not really doing any construction. And I tweeted Jimmy Vesey's contribution. Any line he's on to which you replied, caught this scrolling my timeline, haven't watched anything close to the amount of hockey of that club playing. I would need to have an opinion of worth. But this is a wild analogy to which I replied. Are you mad at me? And I just want to know. Were you mad? Well, at I mean, me? we're here. Not, not, uh, not mad enough. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, Lost a lot of sleep over that, Connor. So it's I needed to start it off by asking that. Well, I'm glad we cleared the air because uh, you know, yeah. I would hate to have that hanging over your head. For the and, and we got some some art to uh, art to create here, and let's do it. Let's do it. All right. So I love it. We have Mikey. You are officially outnumbered for people who either used to be or currently are employed by the New Jersey Devils on the podcast. Incredible. I don't, yeah, I, I, something, something tells me, I don't think I'm, we're going to, you know, bump that number up on here. I don't think any NHL team's going to be knocking <laughs> on my door anytime soon, but we'll see. Um, you're a new dad, which is a huge. Congratulations to that. That's incredible. Um, how's obviously, you know, the, the, I guess maybe the, the main star of your social media presence, which you're very big on, um, in past is your dog, Hoagie. Incredible. How's Hoagie with the baby? Because that's, that's the most incredible content ever is dogs and babies. And it's also, you know, some people are wondering how, how's the dog going to now be able to interact with the new, per, the new thing in here. That's the center of the tension now. So how, how is Hoagie dealing with the new baby? He's been great. There's been a couple moments where I think he's looked around and done an audit on how much attention he's gotten in the day. Mm-hmm. You can see it's like he's stuck in thought. And, you know, he's deciding, he's like, do I grab a toy or should I just bite dad's foot to let him know? But with the baby, has been great. Like he, babies sleep a lot. Hoagie sleep mm-hmm. a lot. They speak the same language there around the same frequency. Um, he's been extremely calm and, and really our only teaching point is like, hey, don't lick the baby for two parts. Like, I don't think you want all of those microbes exposed to the baby that early. I'm not exactly sure. Uh, and you just don't want your baby to smell like dog breath all day. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a two pronged approach, but they've been, I think fast friends and he hasn't uh, changed his behavior too. I mean, we, we had Lindsay Vaughn uh, last season came home with like, I don't know what it was, six or eight puppies that she was going to foster. And this was like three weeks before she was going to Europe for like a month. <laughs> so oh so I, I at this shelter and somehow she ended up with these dogs. Um, and somehow Lexi got suckered into, she's like, yeah, I'll, I'll foster this other dog. Right. Okay. Uh, Indy was his name. And I actually, we, we did not keep Indy. There were, there was conversations around keeping Indy. I cried uh, miserably when I gave Indy to his new owner uh, and Hoagie did not take well to that. Like he, there was definitely a male, male dog thing that was oh. not cool in our house. Um, so fortunately with the baby, there, that hierarchical struggle hasn't occurred. I mean, that's a good thing because I feel like baby dog, if they don't get along, there's one thing that has to go and it, it isn't the baby. Yeah. And, and I mean, I think we're looking at Kyle Palmieri is a, a dog trainer that's supposedly awesome in the area and we're playing the, the email tag game, but um, I think we're going to reinvest 
I was not born a, a renowned dog trainer and I haven't spent much time doing it. So I think uh, go to the experts and, you know, see, see what they have to say and, and try and, you know, put a little bow tie in that relationship early if we can. Well, yeah, I think, so when I was in New Jersey, Blake Coleman was there and his dog was a puppy. And when Jordan, who's his now wife, went away, we would babysit the dog. And I think he also cool. went to Kyle Palmieri's dog trainer and the most well-behaved dog. So if you send Hoagie there, if if Hoagie comes out anything like Wyndham did, you'll be set because that dog is so well-behaved. Hoagie's a little stubborn bulldog like his dad. And we'll see if... <laughs> We'll see if you can shake some of that. Fair enough. How's Lexi doing? She's good. Energy's good. She's resilient. She was able to, you know, work out and and did breath work and and you know, got in a good place mentally the whole pregnancy. And it's wild. They they talk about this. I think she shared it on social media, so I should have the green light to say this. I think so anyway. But her birth was so fast that only like two to three percent of births are that fast. Wow. Well, like a oh. precipitous birth. She looked it up. So she texted me. We were in Buffalo or she called me. It was like 2, 16 a.m. Um, she rolled into the hospital, you know, just that, hey, I think my water broke. And then by 5 a.m., she was wheelchaired into the hospital and she was telling the guy in the elevator. She's like, listen, you know, when she could talk, she's like, when we get up there, tell them I'm not fucking around. <laughs> like this baby is coming out. Like I'm not, <laughs> I'm not bluffing. Like you need to tell them I'm serious that this baby and by five sixteen Charlie was born. So it was like, you remember those, uh, what was the, the Tootsie pop? Like how many licks does it get to the center? Like yeah. one, two, three, and the Tootsie pop's gone because it, the yeah. it. Lexi said, I obviously, I didn't make it in time. I was still trying to find a way home from Buffalo. Yeah. And, uh, Lexi's like, I, I think it was three pushes and that was it. Um, but she's been incredibly resilient and yeah, her doctor told her, she's like, listen, uh, she looked at me and she's like, you need to be prepared to like deliver the next one. If you guys decide, because it only gets better. And like, I don't know if you're going to make it. I, I've never heard of something like that. Like I'm, I'm pretty sure I was 21 hours myself. So I that's was 46, which is common. They tell you, yeah. like Lexi had all these plans. I'm going to make, they, they tell you like make cookies, go for a walk, put a rom-com on like things to boost on. And Lexi was, you know, total onslaught ready to rock and Charlie, you know, maybe it was up to him. He just said, I'm, I'm out of here. Let's go. Um, I'm ready for the real world. All right. He's a go-getter just like his dad, I guess. There we go. Yeah. So we'll see, but he's, he's been a treat so far. And when I'm able to parent, when I'm not on COVID quarantine, this is like oh. the third round, but your oh. third round of COVID quarantine. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I, when I flew home, I was technically on, on COVID quarantine. I, you know, I wasn't, expose anybody but you know the nhl kind of has you mm-hmm. away from the rank um which i was around charlie and i didn't treat myself as if i'd been around somebody and that was fine because i didn't get it or give it mm-hmm. and then as i was coming back out of that protocol one of the guys i was skating with got it so then i was considered contact oh my god back in the protocol and then this last week um we had another guy uh, you know, close to me, get it. And I've tested negative every day, which is awesome. But yeah, luckily we have a, a apartment big enough where I've got my own little quarters, my little okay. podcast studio in the bedroom next to me. Um, that's, all I got. that's man, because like 
hockey players are so you know you are one like they're they're so ritual based like you know there there was that famous uh, I think piece that came out about Jack Eichel specifically where his his day is like three showers like he's got to eat at this specific place like it was crazy. How, he has to have I'm, a specific brand of plastic yeah. fork on the road as well. Well, here it was. I have my theory on that because yeah. I, I used to be that guy, right? Um, yeah, I remember all sorts of rituals. Jack Eichel has not had the luxury of being a bad enough player to recognize that's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> so we go through all the rituals, and you're like, oh, maybe it's the red tie, and, and then you don't play well or whatever. Like, you know. Um, it's not the, it's not the ritual. really. What is like the weirdest ritual that you've seen, whether it's yourself or a guy that you played with? Like, what are some of the just way off I mean, the that, Patrick path? Patrick Marlowe would take a cold tub in between every single period. Really, so, every what? single one. How all his gear off? So Mike Babcock would come in at the same time every game. It was like seven thirty. Mm-hmm. And there's not a lot of time, like from in Toronto, you've got to walk up to the bench. Like it's, it's not forever, but it's not right there. Yeah. He would take all his gear off, all his undergitch, right? Like in, and when you're sweaty and like, you know, or getting out of a cold tub, like your skin's wet. Like it's yeah. the hardest to put on like what, you know, socks when your skin's wet, you'd get completely, you know, dressed down, jump in the cold tub for a couple minutes, put his gear back on all the time. Coach walked in ready to go. And you think he's played. 1700 games like how many cold tubs is that i mean if we do the math like i I, i'm not good at math so it's literally just 1700 times like three plus some overtimes that's crazy it's yeah it's probably like 5200 yeah that's up there trying to think of who else um yeah guys performance and it's an art it's a spirit it's a it's a Mm -hmm. flow state you know it's it's a hard thing to put in a pill um, you know, everyone's got their thing. What, what was the weirdest one that you did? Uh, when I was in Plymouth, I was, I'm, you know, very in a diet, but for whatever reason mm-hmm. at that time, I was convinced that I had a point streak based off, uh, cookie dough. So I would crush like, I mean, <laughs> raw cookie doughs, toll house before the game. It makes sense. It was awesome. Um, I used to, this isn't necessarily a healthy one and kind of tips your hand at some of the addictive qualities that it comes a fine line in a hurry as an athlete. Yeah. I used to take ibuprofen every single game, even though I was not hurt because mm-hmm. I loved the idea of being super warmed up when the game started. Yeah. I felt like I would sweat easier. Hmm. I don't know. Oh, interesting. And so I'd have this, you know, total leap going on, like kind of break your first sweat and I would just be dialed in when the game started. And then I'm like, you know, long-term liver health, this can't be good. Yeah. What's because I, I bring up the r- routines because COVID, you know, has has disrupted, I think, with every everything with everyone. But with just how routine based players are, like how much has that disrupted a player's pregame routine or even like that? For example, like, are there any protocols that would prohibit like a Patrick Marlowe from stripping down, hopping in a cold tub, jumping out and going back? Like is how much has COVID kind of disrupted the, the normal everyday routine based life of, of being an NHLer? Well, to go all the way back, yeah, you know, to when it really started, there was a, a, a great feeling of chaos that I personally experienced. I can't speak for everybody, but I mean, our lives are have really consistently been almost the same. Location changes, team changes, league changes. Since we're, I've been a professional really since I was sixteen, and I was mm-hmm. a U.S. development team. There was just high school involved. That was the only 
you know, thing that, um, you know, has, has removed itself, but the training, the on ice, the off ice, the, the reading books, you know, for, for different topics uh, to gain expertise in different areas. It's all the same. And when COVID first started, you know, I, I personally had to, you know, kind of sit with some things and I took it as an exercise. I go, this concept of retirement comes for everybody. The Grim Reaper, you know, the career Grim Reaper comes for everybody. No one escapes mm-hmm. it. You know, let's practice. Let's pretend. I'm still going to train and work out just because that stuff's fun. I view that stuff as the, the healthy eating. I had some, uh, I had a coach growing up that played in the NHL a long time that, you know, severely dealt with some weight and health issues. And so mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I'm going to eat properly for my body. And it's just really convenient that it helps my job. Yeah. And I feel that way about physical exercise, right? We discussed how we want to get into mental health. Like it's hard to top what physical movement can do for your mental health. Like there's not a lot of other things that can compete with the the consistency of improvement that that makes. So in terms of COVID, I think it shook guys up. You saw the, you know, sort of the outpour when they tried to do the 90 minute rule this season, even. Mm-hmm. The I think it was the PA in the league was like, all right, we're going to have players get their 90 minutes before. And I remember some guys on Winnipeg were pretty vocal about it. And that rule just kind of like fell to the wayside immediately. Yeah, that made no sense. That truly made no sense. Like you guys, I feel like the league is, they're almost overthinking it from that perspective. It doesn't matter if you're there 90 minutes before or 120 minutes before or whatever the case may be. If you're exposed to someone that has COVID you're spitting on the bench and you're breathing on each other on the ice when you're cross-checking each other, warming up for an extra hour doesn't do anything. Like that, that's not where you're going to get it from. And it's the period of time that's most avoidable to be near anybody. You know, that exactly. first half hour there, it's usually pre-meeting. Uh, it's kind of when you just, I don't know, you do miscellaneous shit. You make your water bottles up with your amino acids or whatever you drink and you kind of have your coffee and sit in your stall and tape your, your stick. And you, you know, it's usually kind of every player's solo time. Mm-hmm. And then you have your meeting and then there's only so much room in most NHL rinks to kind of warm up. Some guys play soccer, you know, the weight room is usually limited, you know, whether you're home or away, it doesn't matter. Um, and you get ready to play the game, but I don't know. COVID has been this really interesting thought experiment. I mean, I guess in terms of me personally, it's been a really simplifying year. Right. Like I had this, uh, you know, podcast endeavor I wanted to start, created time for that. You know, my personal complaint was always, I don't have enough time. Mm-hmm. Well, now you got all the time. So now what? Like now I had to stare in the mirror and deal with that, um, you know, personal responsibility. And then hockey, like that's just part of my DNA. It's it's so easy to prepare for now. Like the hard, the, the work is hard. The creatively is hard. Making sure your game's good, you know, is, is hard, but like, actually putting that those processes together isn't and then family wise like um staying in the present a lot more like this baby it's pretty cool i have two worlds hockey doesn't care that i have a newborn Mm -hmm. right like the coach is going to say oh connor we're not going to do battle drills tonight because i'm sure you're tired (laughs) um they don't give a shit and you know my baby charlie frankly isn't all that concerned at 2 30 in the morning that i had a tough skate today so it's on me like you should the, the the ask is what it is. So you find a way to 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 manage and just go moment by moment. 
Well, you bring up mental health, and I guess that's a great segue to kind of jump into that because you know you've been someone who's being really upfront about it, and you know just speaking personally as a you know as a guy in the sports media industry, and even just growing up in sports, like being upfront about this stuff, it's not it doesn't come you know as a it doesn't come as a, you know a second nature. It's it's not promoted. It's kind of you know hockey specifically, but all athle- athletics essentially are just put your head down, keep grinding, and you know you'll find a way out of it. How important is it to be upfront with that stuff? Because you've been someone who's been very vocal, and I'm sure you know as a you know as a hockey player, you know a guy who you know gets in fights and hits and all that kind of stuff. Being like, look, I'm I'm human as well. That I'm sure that's touched a lot of people. How important is it to be you know just upfront about that kind of stuff? Well, the way I view it, and and I'm gonna get a it's it's all it sounds a little woo in terms of like creating your own reality, right? But if I, as a person, am a projection mm-hmm. and I'm closed off, like people can read that. People feel that. Mm-hmm. And then they don't, they don't feel comfortable around me. They don't feel themselves. And it becomes this, you know, ignition, this um, catalyst for people now having to kind of put something on around each other. Versus, you know, the, the conversations that I have with teammates um, the level of honesty that I'm able to operate in personally and, and the uh, sort of freedom that that's given other people, I wouldn't trade that for anything. And it really uh, is something that I started out of, I did not want something. I didn't want to have my entire career go by and be in a chronic state of anxiety and squeezing and trying to grasp at water, right? Which is what it felt like. Mm-hmm. And then I really had some, you know, pick your head up moments where in my mental health sort of toolbox, I was really finding some new shiny tools that worked really, really well. And each one of them was like a revelation. I had to tell everybody, you know, I was a big show and tell guy growing up. That's how I learned. Mm-hmm. I'd go home, I'd go, uh, go to school, learn something new, regurgitate the whole thing to mom and dad. And they'd roll their eyes and be like, when's this kid going to shut up? <laughs> right. And that's kind of, that's kind of how I operate. Yeah. Um, I'm excitable that way. And uh, I don't know. I just, I felt that there was a gap in that space. And, you know, this, the, the things that I've been best at in my life, I haven't necessarily made a choice. So, for example, I played other sports growing up. Hockey was it. Mm-hmm. I loved baseball. I was good at it. Like, really good at it. We had a really good team. It was fun time for me. It was like gym class. And I'd, I'd screw around and I was, you know, the team clown and that. Hockey was Hockey was gold time. Yeah. Hockey had my, had my number. Uh, Lexi, when we met in high school, I don't know what it was. There was just this like radar, this person, this woman is important to me. I don't know why. And eventually we reconnected and that was true. Um, and then in terms of, I don't know, being a, a champion for ideals, like that's why we get into sport is to develop and, and test sort of these characteristics. Um, I noticed some of that was gone. And just the day-to-day, you see it. You see it in the media. Like, mm-hmm. you see a lot of seriousness. Yeah. You see a lot of intensity. Um, it's hard to do that year in, year out for 82 games. You know, there's there's ways to bring in some lightness uh, that's, you know, creates great energy. So, anyway, that is, you know, why the cause is so important to me. And I just realized how impressionable I was. Like, I can be hard-headed. I've been successful in what society would regard as successful in a lot of ways. 
also now on my Instagram feed, I watched The Rock talk about two minutes about how he's got three hours of sleep and he's got 10 meetings and he's got to answer to his kids when he gets home. Mm-hmm. That fires me up. Like I'm, you know, so we're all, I think we're all more impressionable um, than we like to admit up front. How do you think we can, we can shift that? Because I know, uh, even specifically, uh, when I was in New Jersey, it was the first time where I was kind of, I had nobody. I was pretty much alone there. And um, I figured out, like, I had PTSD and I was dealing with some stuff and there wasn't really that support system, but it also felt like I couldn't talk about it. So how do you think we can, as a sport, because hockey is always like, we've seen Tyler Mott come out. We've seen Ryan O'Reilly recently um, discussing mental health specifically when he was in Buffalo. Is there a way that hockey as a whole can shift the conversation? Because it's such a macho sport per se, but it shouldn't be where people feel that they can't speak about how they're feeling internally because that's how we get addictions and all manner of awful stuff post-career like what 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 is some of the work we can do to to shift that conversation oh god it's a tall order um it's interesting the ryan o'reilly one right and i've thought about this personally stellar player like hard to play against so skilled uh if the passion for the game was leaving them you know, I didn't watch every shift, but it would have been, you know, difficult to notice, right? Uh, maybe outside of his own skull. And then you think of, you know, some of the, the pressures on, you know, I'm in this situation, guys in the fringes of, of NHL lineups. And you think about where do you think their passion for the game is? Yeah, you would think because they're fighting on those fringes, their passion would maybe even be higher because it's like I'm putting everything on the line here. Could be. Um, it's also hard sometimes to keep coming back to, it's really hard to ask the same girl to the dance 2000 times when she's rejected you that many. Hey, we've all been there. We've all been there. Right. Um, and, uh, I don't know, but to focus on the question of how do we change it? It's a little bit of the chicken and the egg. I think there's going to be a lot of mistakes along the way. There are going to be people that you, the way I view it is I'm trying to take full responsibility for sort of my NHL pro career experience and what I actually want it to be. Mm -hmm. Is there a possibility with the openness that someone perceives what's going on in my life and in my head uh, through my openness as weakness? possible that says more about them than it does about me mm-hmm. how they perceive it i couldn't agree more with that yeah vividly i'm gonna go on my own way maybe i get waived for it maybe i get traded maybe i don't get signed i accept those responsibilities i accept the consequences has because you i mean that's extremely admirable has that conversation kind of shifted within the actual nhl locker room like is is that sort of is that culture of just kind of putting your head down less now? Like, is there more kind of an openness among, you know, your, your teammates or I guess even like your coworkers and people you consider your bosses, your coach to be more upfront or those conversations happening, or is it still kind of, you know, in, in the primitive stages of it? I think so within the, the teams, within the players, I think it is within conversations at dinner. Uh, you know, those are great opportunities for, you know, real therapeutic, it's very therapeutic to talk to somebody uh, and have to 
take your thoughts, which can be in emotions, which can be equally as difficult to process and, and kind of organize them in a way that Rachel and Mike, this is what I'm, this is what I'm experiencing and, and put this in a way that's coherent to you. And then you kind of bounce back, caught up. I'm not sure. I recognize it here. I'll give you an example. Let's go. So part of my mental health journey is the inner voice, right? We all have this sort of inner consciousness. Whose voice is it? Is it me? Is it every coach I've ever had? Is it you know, some psychoanalysis, is it, is it like the parent who's, you know, uh, attention you're still seeking for? I don't know. That's above my level of education. Uh, but I had a friend, John Hayden, for example, in New Jersey. I'd say, John, I did not play well tonight. Uh, my ice time, you know, got docked early. I, you know, I couldn't get in the flow with this and that. And he would talk to me as a friend would. Warm, encouraging, honest, you know, Connor, I understand her ice time was docked, you know, but I, I saw that back end playing the second. Like, that's not you, man. Like, what are you reaching for? Like, what do you make an easier play there? Uh, and then what I started to realize was like, oh, that's what a good friend, that's what a good coach talks to you like. Mm-hmm. Not this parading, you know, inner voice that I have. Um, you know, my relationship with him has been as therapeutic as anything I've had with anybody in my entire life. Um and see where the rubber meets the road in, in hockey is it's still the, the results oriented business is the mon, is the mantra, mm-hmm. right? And at some point, I think the mental health conversation gets really um, interesting and athletic uh, dynamics, the word I'm looking for. When the character on the ice, you still need to make magic happen. Um, and what's amazing is like when all of these stressors outside of your life aren't addressed, they'll find their way. Yeah. You'll make a mistake in the second period. They'll get sat and you'll feel like the building's melting. And the, the question I have for people when it comes to, you know, maybe people aren't open to the idea that their mental health can be better or that they can be stronger, more resilient, whatever fit, whatever word mm. you want to use. Um, but the fact the, the question that I had to sit with, have there been circumstances in my career where I've made a mistake and been extremely resilient? Yes. The answer is yes. I've, I've made mistakes and gone on to have great games. I've made mistakes and gone on and been like, ah, it happens. Eric Carlson makes bad passes. Brent Burns makes bad passes. Drew Doughty makes bad passes. I'll, I'll, I'll live. No one's burning me at the stake mm-hmm. uh, in the second period of Montreal. But I've also had times where, you know, you get the sweaty palms, the brain gets small, so by definition, if I've shown examples of being really mentally strong in the face of adversity, then there are counterexamples. Yeah. How do we address those now? Um, I'm not sure coaches, you know, they have all their personal relationships. They have the relationship with, with their GM, you know, that they're talking to. They have a relationship with their assistant coaches uh, or uh, minor league coaches that they're trying to manage. And then they've got a full roster it's a tall order for them to know the pulse on every guy. It's part of the job description, mm-hmm. but it is a hard job, especially when they're tired, they're underslept. And a lot of them are stressed for their own jobs, you know, to be, to be frank. And uh, I don't know. I think it comes down to the individual. I think when it's no one else's responsibility to make sure that I'm taking care of myself. And when you start from a place of that's, that's, tough to, to own everything, but it, it leaves you with an opportunity to empower yourself and start to make progress. Just like one quick one on mental health before we uh, get into some fun stuff. You mentioned that 
some days you you feel like you're able to move on if you if you make a bad play in the second period, or and sometimes you feel like the wall is closing in. When you play, and you you've played in Toronto, which is their fans, like I'll admit, we're nuts. Like when you make a mistake, somebody like you played with Jake Gardner, and he had a terrible game seven. And that was really unfortunate because with him, the good far outweighs the bad. But when you make a mistake like that and you know that it costs your team and you know that the fan base is just going to eat you alive, does that ever enter your head? How does that play? Because I think a lot of fans don't realize that maybe it affects people or maybe it doesn't and they, uh, they can't reconcile that. It affects you for sure. At our core, you want other people to like you. You want other people to think you're good. We were that fan uh, once upon a time looking up at our favorite player. And you remember what it feels like to let anybody down. You know, it starts with your your mom and dad, right? Like they, they call you after the bad game. <laughs> yep. Oh, yeah. Hey, hey, Connor. How are you? You know how I am. You watch the game, right? Yep. This is a game winner, right? Connor, with, you know, hey, what's up? How was the game? Yeah. Right? So your performance affects everything. It affects, you know, the mood at dinner. It affects, uh, you know, after the game, you, you go for a bite to eat. Like, waiter comes over. They can tell, you know, just by reading your energy. Like, it, it, it sucks when you play bad. I mean, it's... It's a tall ask being a pro athlete. There's a lot of people there watching you. Um, it's not always fair. The schedule's tough. We're on frozen ice. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's bad. Sometimes the puck hops. Sometimes it doesn't. Uh, but you just go about your business in a way that you can hang your hat up, you know, at the end of the end of the day and be proud of yourself. And if you do that enough, I'm not saying you'll feel good about yourself like right after the game. Mm-hmm. You might not even feel good about yourself the next day the next week, the next month. But this is where that mental fitness, right? If, if we were to test physical fitness, right? Um, this is very much how we would decide if an athlete was fit or not. We're going to put them on the goal line and we're going to skate them once. Are you tired? No. All right, I can do it again. Bang. And the guy that's the most fit is the guy that can recover from the, the ask, from the difficulty in the shortest amount of time. Right. Right. Wow. So mentally, like – how quickly can that brain, if our brain's a sponge and it's been dipped in emotion, right? Like a oh, high of a goal, uh, you know, uh, despair after a bad turnover. How quickly can that sponge come back to neutral? Oh, that's wow. a brilliant way to look at it. Because we think of being mentally fit and strong as being able to protect from even feeling those emotions right out front. Like, you know, you get into a stressful situation and your idea, your litmus kind of test of how you how mentally fit you are, at least the way I used to look at it was, okay. well, like, am I not going to get stressed of the stress situation? But the way you put it, like, it's so much it's so much more applicable where it's like, how do you recover from this stressor that comes to you? Like, are you able to bounce back right away or do you let it kind of ruin your entire week? And that's wow. That, that opens up a whole new... Once we do emotions, like I, I view a lot of them as an itch. Yeah. There's no ignoring the itch. Like you're going to have to itch it mm-hmm. or it's going to bother you. So all of these emotions, like there's not, necess- there's not necessarily a bad one. They're all, you know, okay, you're a young kid. Uh, you're playing your first NHL game and Chris Kreider dumps the puck in. Yep. And you're scared. I would be. Well, okay. <laughs> 
okay, there's something to learn there. Cause you, it's cause you don't know the skill set. You don't know, you have to get close to him, you know, don't get too much space. Otherwise he's going to have momentum to, to take his angle and hit you, you know, uh, right when it gets there, win the stick battle and, you know, you know, he's a physical guy, you know, there's a good chance it's going to hit, you know, if you can win the stick war, you can pop out and, and break out. Right. There, there's, there's something to be learned. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you see all of these emotions as there's opportunity there. And that once you'd like stop demonizing, uh, these are ones I don't want. Um, you can start to play on your own team. Connor, was that you? Were you scared of, of Chris Kreider when he dumped in the puck? Scared of lots of guys. Not, and, and not, you know, Kreider's one that comes to, comes to uh, in Toronto. It was our second game of the year. Mm-hmm. And this was exactly the play. Yeah. He, he was a center lane drive. Uh, the right winger for them, I was playing with Gardner. Um, had you know chipped it in, and, and Kreitz was a middle lane drive, and there was a skill blend, there was a stride and a pace that I screwed up, and like I'm lucky I didn't, I you know I ended up banging my shoulder up and, and missing a couple games, could have been a lot worse. Yeah, could have been a lot worse. But two things, I put myself in a bad position, um, you know, because I was I was fearful of the asset mismanagement I, I hadn't like scheduled my skating to arrive when the puck was arriving I was, was a little behind it slow on my read um but I was hell-bent on coming up with this puck because I was really terrified of missing ice time you yeah. know it's similar to similar to and this is kind of where the personal responsibility sets in and it, it becomes really profound and, and hard to hard to wrestle with so for example I get to Dallas Probably the best opportunity of my career other than when I first got to Toronto. Mm-hmm. So when I went to Toronto, I had the big Marlies run the next year, you know, the first eight to 15 games were really weird. I would either play like six minutes or 25. Yeah. I right? remember that. Really interesting. I'd be in the lineup, top four, I'd be out of the lineup. You know, it was, it was, it was quite a lot. Well, I get to Dallas. I, I the last game I played against Detroit. I broke my leg at the last shift of the first period. I took a one timer off the pop, off the ankle from uh, Trevor Daly. Mm-hmm. It was my fault. It was my fault. And I got hurt because I was scared. What happened was I kind of lost, I got entangled up and I was losing a wrestling match in front of the net. I forget with who. And I basically panicked instead of just finding the puck and being like, okay, you know what? I lost my battle. I'm just going to block it, right? Because this is something NHL coaches say, like, you know, box the guy out. If you don't, just get your block and, and break the team out. Instead, I was wrestling, 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 right where, like, every NHL team shoots one place towards the net. Yeah. Where was I standing? Right in front of the net. I'm going to get hit with a puck. Uh, I lost sight of it. You know, I wasn't square. Off my foot, break my ankle. Um, I played I played the rest of that game. Which is nuts. Every NHL Every NHL players after this magic word, right? You'll hear them say leash. Yeah. Right. I, I need leash. I, I need the ability to make mistakes and still play. Mm-hmm. Right? That's where you're free. Right. I played 22 minutes that night and I'm thinking to myself the whole game. I'm like, there's no way they're putting me out there still. I suck. Like I can't skate. I was, I was in quite a bit of pain. Every time Larkin or Thanasu was on the ice, I'd get off because I'm like, those are the two guys I'm going to look really bad with. Um, but that's the level of leash I was starting to get to. I was playing with that Miro Iskinen who's unreal. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, you got to think to yourself, okay, risk reward wise, let's say what I was really fearful of, let's say my guy tips that puck in. And this is kind of like the veteran side of the game. Let's say my guy tips that puck in that I was so nervous about and they score. Am I scratched for the next three months because of that goal? Probably not. Not three months straight. Well, that's what a broken leg does to you. That's true. Right? So, you know, it was, um, I don't know. There's, uh, when you start to look at every play you've ever made and you start to accept the bad bounces, be the reason for them, um, that's when you can actually really start to make progress with your game. And I, it wasn't in a hockey book. Mm-hmm. You know, I learned that. Wow. You, you bring up as well that pairing with you and Gardner and, you know, being in the market, you know, I remember what I specifically remember about you guys is you were the Corsi gods of the pairing. Yeah. Like you, like everyone loved your analytics and, and that it was a huge thing on Twitter. You know, like you guys were the great underlying numbers. There's been a really tricky relationship between, I guess, the actual players who play the game, which you are, and the people, you know, the, the, to be frank, the dumbasses like me who watch the game and then have to talk about it. And there's been a big sort of divide in respect and not respect, but just like how much it's factored in with analytics, you know, which some, is my thing, which is Rachel's, you know, expertise and all that. But specifically, you know, you, you and Gardner analytics gods and I and then there are other pairings who weren't weren't as good and there's just and and we're seeing a lot more now where these players are coming out and they're saying you know like I think analytics are you know hogwash because you know my my partner is you know he's a great guy and he's you know he can he can really ring the puck around the boards and it's great and that doesn't what what's your what's your take on that specifically because you were in the, the you know the fishbowl market in Toronto where everyone's got a Twitter account and everyone's you know tweeting out a bunch of stuff how do you view sort of analytics as a player and then also do you think sort of there is that big divide between the players and um, I guess like the observers like us and how we value them. Well, I think there's a literal divide in that, you know, how many round tables, lunches, dinners have you had, or, you know, have players had Mm -hmm. with the analytics team and the analytics team had with the players where there's a conversation around players. We want to get better. Yeah. That's all we're like for the most part, most guys, if you can show them how they can get better, I'm all ears. Mm-hmm. I, I really, I really want that. You know how hard that is to do on your own when all you've got is your own perspective and your own lane and all this confirmation bias versus yeah. one points you over here to everything you're missing. Um, I think it's a great opportunity. And also on the analytics side, I don't know if it's, if it's fear or inertia, like, you know how many people are in the analytics community? I'm sure a lot. Mm-hmm. You know how many people have like tapped on my shoulder and said, Hey Connor, can we watch a couple periods together? And you tell me what you're, your experience eye test is showing you. That's my favorite thing to do. Like when I was in New Jersey, we would, I would spend, say in any given day, I did video and analytics, right? I would prepare the reports for John Hines, who was the coach at the time, or uh, Fitzy was there. So like uh, Binghamton, whatever. I would spend probably like 65% of my day watching the clips. And then the other 35% preparing the report and doing the numbers. And one of the big things I came up with probably like right as I got there, which was like maybe the beginning of January was we need to move Taylor Hall on the power play. He can't play where he's currently playing. And they got pushed back and pushed back. And then John said, uh, Taylor gave him pushback. And I said, okay, these are the reasons. And I sent them with video clips. And then the second that happened, the power play got hot. It happened to coincide with Paul Mary shooting like 40% on the power play. But I always, just like you said, I always find that 
if you can accompany it with, hey, look at the video. This is what you did. What are you seeing? Okay, now that you tell me you're seeing that, this is how that correlates to the numbers. Because I always find if, if I can understand where, what you can see and you can understand what I can see, we can find common ground and then everyone gets better. Because the next time I go, hey, Connor, I saw this, you'll know how my brain thinks and I'll know how your brain thinks. So I think that there's, there's not enough of valuing the other side's opinion because no one talks to each other. <laughs> Yeah. You got to build trust, mm-hmm. right? That's trust is the big, it's pretty binary. I'm reading this book right now. This is a great book. Um, rule number one of the book is don't give it to anybody as a homework assignment, but so at your own uh, 15 commitments of conscious leadership, mm-hmm. right? Paradigm for sustainable success. And uh, it's a hoity toity title, but you know, the, the meat's really good. And I uh, found it on a Tim Ferriss podcast and it's pretty, it's just a line. Where are you in reference to this line? Are you operating from a place of trust or are you fearful? Mm-hmm. Are you, is, is the coach nervous that you're trying to undermine him and, and have this prerogative to climb the hockey corporate ladder? Or does he really believe that, you know, uh, you want to be his X factor and, and, you know, secret weapon in the hole. Right. And it's the same thing as players. We're either totally in trust that I can maintain possession of the puck or I'm fearful I'm going to turn it over and, and get rid of it. Like it, it really becomes pretty binary. And uh, I think we need that conversation more often. And I, what I think is really cool is the opportunity. So for example, like as a, I came from Hershey mm-hmm. where we had, when I was traded to Toronto, we had a strict exit out the weak side, keep the puck on the wall, break up. Tons of uh, creativity in the uh, – remember like uh, Philly used to play like this, mm-hmm. Boston yeah. back in the day, LA, this D to D and out. And, and sometimes they make the middle play when it would open. But it was pretty much, you know, um, you know, teams want to take away the middle, fine, so we'll use the walls and just chip and play fast and exit out of our – this was, you know, kind of how a lot of the game was played, um, you know, back then. And we had a lot of, we had a lot of skill in Hershey – uh, but some some uh, veteran team that didn't move the puck so good. So that was our whole concept, right? We got good forwards. Just let them make the stress play, get out of the demon's hands. We got guys that are big and defend well, but and, and are actually good at the offensive blue line. But in terms of finding plays in the breakout, not so good. Well, we get, I get to Toronto, and our entire breakout is exit through the middle. <laughs> and I'm making this play that I've had. Like our our entire breakout is find the center, find the low low forward through the middle. Uh, why? Because in the NHL, you know, Victor Hedman's going to get up. And now you've got this six six mammoth coming down the wall, <laughs> a winger, you know, with yeah. a, that's it's not a clean puck to, you know, peel off the off the yellow. It's not easy. So I was I was like so nervous to make this play because I got yelled at so many times for trying it in Hershey. And uh, finally, I just I'd done it enough where I thought the middle was open. I'm not I'm just going to keep it on the wall. I'm just going to keep it on the wall. Mm-hmm. Well, what I was fearful of was giving up a scoring chance, right? With yeah. the bad pass in the middle. And what I found was every time I just punted it on the wall, I was giving up a scoring chance. Oh, fair. So, if, like if someone from analytics, and I did it on my own because I was doing my own analytics. If someone could have wrapped their arm around me and said like, hey, Connor, you see this guy that's open in the middle? Why are you not passing to him? Um, well, I didn't feel like I saw the lane. What do you mean you don't feel like you see the lane? Like it's pretty open. You make this play elsewhere on the ice. What's so hot about this, you know, uh, trapezoid to the hash marks area. Why can't you pass the puck in there? Like, why is this no go zone? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't want to give up 
chances. I'm nervous about, you know, having to defend a high, you know, danger chance from inside the slot. All right, let's play the clip six more seconds. <laughs> Here's your high danger you, chance. Where's the puck? Right? Like that's your high danger chance because you're not making your mm-hmm. play. Wow. Right. And that would have helped my learning curve. That would have sharpened it. Right. And that's where I think uh, Connor Brown um, has a great hockey mind. And we would always, you know, shoot the shit in Toronto. And he had played for a coach, uh, Chris Noblock. Oh, yeah. I think. Yeah. He thought he was brilliant. Like he said offensive. This guy was so smart. Right. Um, and Erie. And his whole concept was like, okay, do you know how much more likely you're able to get a second puck opportunity if you're able to ex- uh, enter through the middle of the rink on uh, offensively? And he's like, so it's worth it. Like do everything you can to get inside that dot lane. And, you know, Brownie was great at it. And, you know, so there are things that we would talk about. There are analytics that we would talk about uh, as players that naturally were feeling through the game. But where I think, you know, if analytics and players can get together and notice patterns faster, right? Like, so say, for example, the power play, the, what's the whole power play judged off of? At the end of the year, they come up with their rankings, right? Power play coach, maybe they get a top 10%, you know, top 10 in the league bonus, right? Yeah, how many times you scored? Well, if they're able to fix that problem just five games sooner, and you know how fast five games oh, happen. Yeah. Like, it, you're playing all the time in the NHL where there's not an opportunity for these coaches sometimes to pluck their head out of the ground and recognize something new, you know, because they're so fixated on, okay, we're actually just not doing what I'm coaching in the first place. Um, to come up with a fresh, you know, new, different approach, maybe that someone that's not totally involved a day to day can do. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, I don't know. I think it's, um, I think it's going to get better. And there's a lot of stone throwing. Yeah. You know, oh, there's right now. so much stone throwing. And I think it's, it's more old media people stone throwing than it is like player stone throwing. Yeah. It's players for the most part, we're open to learning. Yeah. And the, what's beautiful is the video doesn't lie. So if it's like, you know, let's say player A, you use Taylor Hall as an example. I don't, I don't know exactly what player you're talking about. Let, let's say it was me, right? I, yeah. In my days on a, on a power play in Toronto, it's like, hey, Connor, um, I don't know what else to tell you. You keep drifting on your one-timer. You're killing it. Like you're, you're hammering the puck. But all that drifting, the goalie's only got to move so far, they're making these easy saves. So like, while I understand it's uncomfortable for you to stand there, right? I need you yeah. to stand there. And I need you to stand there and shoot uncomfortably and, and frankly, get comfortable at it mm-hmm. because it's more uncomfortable for the goalie. If you don't believe me, here, let's watch number eight who scored 8,000 goals from this position. Tell me if he drifts. <laughs> and then you've got a hundred examples of him filling the back of the net, right? And like, that to me is analytics. That to me is, you know, because there are numbers to back it up. But that's true. Well, you, you speak of the stone throwing too. And I think we've, we've seen a bit more of that come out recently because NHL players are starting to be more like yourself, starting to be more active on social media. They're starting to kind of put themselves in that way. What do you think? Cause there is that narrative that goes around now that says kind of NHL players are, are kind of boring, you know, like in, in except PK Subban who gets dumped on every 10 seconds. Oh, yeah. You know, it's what, what do you think of that narrative? You think it's fair? Like I, we're, we're here on a podcast with you. So not clearly not all NHL players are boring, but like, do you, what do you think of that? I think it was the narrative for a long time. And, and, you know, hockey did have this, you know, team oriented walk the line, you know, um, 
you know, hide a lot of your individuality. And it was beautiful. We play such a team sport, mm-hmm. right? Like you see in the NBA where all of a sudden a team, uh, you know, the Cleveland Cavaliers are dead last and LeBron shows up and they go to the finals. Yeah. It doesn't happen in hockey. No. Right? The power, the power of the individual isn't quite as bold as it is in certain other sports. Mm-hmm. Now, with that said, we – this is an interesting argument that I, I, I forget who I was talking – I think I was talking to Will Butcher about it the other day. Will. And, uh, yeah, uh, great, dude. And uh, me and him, Will Butcher, used to play for the Madison Capitals. He wore number four. And uh, we played in the MWHL. I played for the Chicago Chill. Mm-hmm. I would take the puck, and I would race all the way down the rink, and I would try and score. And then Will would pick it up, and I would back check him. Yep. And he would try and score, and then I'd pick it up, and I would back check. You know, Will would back check me, and and he was such a good player for so long. And it's cool how our careers have, you know, kind of inter interwoven themselves uh, over the course of time. But I was saying, like, okay, as as players, we're technically fifty percent owners of this revenue pot. Mm-hmm. Technically, <laughs> how many players? And now maybe they don't value the power of the individual, but imagine if it was like the collective. Yeah really viewed the bottom line as owners and took responsibility for it. Maybe 10. But I, I'm saying, imagine if it was the entire, like the whole 50%. Off the bottom. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like if, if everyone was involved and in growing the game and everyone wasn't so boring. Like I remember specifically it's, it's easy in Toronto, right? They've got young guys, they got Matthews and Marner who are showing personalities and interviewing with GQ. You've got, you've got PK Subban and yourself in New Jersey. Um, Brent Burns is a another key case, um, even Ovi. But then you've got guys that are like some of the best in the league, McDavid, uh, Crosby, and in front of the camera, like they're they're milk toast, right? And so that like that's not it's not doing a lot to to grow the game in the way that somebody like a a Stephen Curry does for basketball. Um, so I just think that like you're right. The, they don't view the bottom line as, hey, if we grow hockey-related revenue, that means we get paid more. They don't view it as their responsibility. And what the a counter-argument could be, well, like, come on, it, it's a drop in the bucket. How how seismically can I really shape this whole equation? It's like, well, l- listen, man, like maybe it's for the next generation, mm-hmm. right? We've seen the NBA have these trampoline moments with these key players that have taken that, that have grabbed the league and said, all right, here, I'm going to put you up here now. Yeah. Right. Like we're, we're going to the next level. Um, and you know, I, what I would say is every NHL player every year does this personal audit when the season's over. Okay. Where am I good? Where am I bad? What do I need to work on? Where are my face-offs? What are my backhand play? And then they put together this plan, you know, okay, these are the consultants I need. This is the ice time. I, you know, the conscious, uh, mm-hmm. conscientious ones. A lot of them just go and do what they always do, which is, you know, gotten them to this point. So it'll get them to wherever they want to go. They don't really question their um, plan. But a lot of guys are really creative. And what a lot of them do is recognize, okay, you know what? Uh, my backhand play is no good. Who's good at teaching that? Maybe it's Daryl Belfry. Maybe mm-hmm. it's Adam Oaks. And they go out and they, they hire this guy. Right. And they, and they work with them and they really do improve their game. Yeah. Belfry's crazy. I've been on the ice with him and Matthews or him and Eller and, and whatever. And the things like I saw what we worked on with Matthews on the ice 
I saw him do it multiple times in a game and he scored and I just texted Belfry about it. And it's like, he, that ability to recognize that and go, okay, I got to seek out this person and then that person could do it. And then bam, like it works. You know, I've used this analogy, you know, hockey coaches and hockey cultures is oftentimes, you know, very focused on mm-hmm. culture, right. And, and cultural beat systems when system, whatever, you know, and, and, certain people are like obsessed with like the armed forces, right? West point, uh, Navy seals. And it's like, you're not a Navy seal because you went to buds. Yeah. That's a big part of it. Yeah. But these guys are trained assassins. They go through every single scenario. They go through every last little bit of pattern recognition and they piece together. They start with how they put their left boot on for the mission. Right. Mm-hmm. Remember um, I read uh, the book. I forget what it is. John Wooden. Mm-hmm. Oh Yes. Uh, would teach his guys how to put socks on because his whole theory was, yeah, if we get to the tournament and my best player's got a blister, like you can't defend the same like that. Yeah. So we're going to start with putting our socks on Mm -hmm. and, you know, underneath the fundamentals, maybe we'll call them the elementals, right. And the really good coaches bounce on both. They work on both. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've seen it. Like I, you know, with, with Austin, why does he come in and score at a rampant pace every year? Well, from what I've understood in the media, this is like one of the first years where he's consistently upheld, you know, some of his personal skill set work within the game. I know he's always worked on his game, but with Daryl, mm-hmm. and he's kept his pace up even higher. There's something, you know, there to that. Um, I forget what the question was. <laughs> well, I was going to say, coincidentally, like just it was about, you know, players being showing personality and oh yeah yeah. i mean i think you know when you bring up the concept of uh escrow yeah right like oh man certain players and i'm sure even i'm not in these conversations i'm sure even amongst owners like owners you know if i own the the lightning you know which is Mm -hmm. a smaller market that's been really successful if i own nashville you know who's really had to fight and claw to build yeah um you know, rapport with the community, like versus we know the markets that are struggling, right? Like, I'm sure that there's anger between these owners that are like, okay, why can't this guy or this other owner just be as creative as I've been or work as hard as I've been? Um, and as players, like, you'll do the same thing. And I, I kind of, I view it as finger pointing. It's like, well, what really are you doing to move the needle to grow our game mm-hmm. grassroots level? Like what really what point to me, the actions where you're really acting like an owner, cause you are 50% owner. Yeah. And I get it. It takes a ton of attention and focus to be this, you know, NHL hockey player, but in the same way, just hire out, you know, have somebody else follow you with the camera. You don't have to hold it yourself. You don't have to, you know how interested people would be if, you know, it could be muted, you know, to protect anyone from, you know, uh, you know, slip of the tongue or something that they didn't want, you know, out there. If you just did an Instagram live of every McDavid skate or even 50% of them, let's say he wants to keep certain things top secret, like how much attention that would garner. I still go on my, there's like a, a Sidney Crosby practice highlights from when he was coming back from an injury. Oh yeah. From like years ago. I still go back and watch it all the time. It's fascinating to me. That's when he's hitting the crossbar and everything, right? Like it's. Yeah. And he's, and he's doing the, he's got the cones and he's oh, just yeah. warming up and you just hear his edges and his posture and his alignment. And you're like, it's gorgeous. It's awesome. This is beautiful. You yeah. know, those videos even of, and, and that's where I think the NBA has done a really good job is I think you're, there's an encouragement of every individual that, that right. Like PK. 
Yeah. Rachel, you've been around PK. Like he's oozing with personality. He, he couldn't contain it if he tried. No, he really right? couldn't. And the NHL, like to me, I've always been like, take that guy, take and Matthews and Burns, like take those guys who dress nicely, who are personable, who can make people laugh and market them. Or even here, let's do the counter argument, right? So uh, Bruce Boudreaux, you know, who's famously sometimes a, a hot mess, right? Like he's got it, you know, yes. he's, he's shoveled on the bench. Yes. You know, you, you hear about stories. You saw it in the, like the road to the winter classic, whatever. Mm-hmm. Imagine you followed him around. Or torts. It, it's hysterical. Or, or torts or, you know, and, and even give him final edit. Yeah. Fine. Edit 90% of it. It's still 10% more than we were giving out before. It's it's remarkable. Like I do remember during those Road to the Winter Classics, they did follow Bruce Boudreaux around one time doing Christmas shopping at a mall. And oh that my God, was yeah. And that was fascinating. Like I still I still look at that clip of just even any behind the scenes stuff and I think that's what I, your podcast does a great job of and we'll get into that in a sec. Like that that tirade where he drops like 24 F bombs in the span of like 90 seconds. I Alert. It's that is like one of the most enduring pieces of NHL content. We've seen ever gritty, for example, is the you know, he he's on friggin Colbert all the time. You don't see that kind of crossover. So that's fantastic. There are more it, people who know who gritty is worldwide than like Crosby, like my sister. So I have two siblings. My sister mm-hmm. hates sports, hates hockey. She thinks it's terrible. She thinks gritty is the best thing on the earth. He's outrageous. He's hysterical. I remember I was in New Jersey when they announced it. And we were howling. And I said to my good friend at the time who was in PR, I said, you watch, this will be the best thing the NHL does in the last five years. And when we came out in warmups and he had the, um, the sign chirping PK. Oh my God. Yes. Yes. I, guys were losing. It, <laughs> it was losing. so funny. <laughs> we were like, Oh my God, is that funny? It's incredible. Um, and I think there's so many endearing stories like the, Story, you know, I kind of, um, I really like Gary Vaynerchuk, right? Mm-hmm. And he talks about this concept of documenting. And honestly, you know, like we can, maybe my brand development side, if we want to call it that, mm-hmm. um, you know, is to diversify uh, source of revenue, diversify, you know, how I provide value in the world. Sure, those are all great things. Like also Charlie, when he's 10, mm-hmm. can like go back and see what his dad was like. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to hear that podcast like it really is a living breathing document that will continue to grow as long as i contribute to it um there's so many stories in the nhl that are all equally as fascinating in their own right you know like i remember you know i'm a guy i'm really looking under the curious competitor it's there's a reason i named it that Mm -hmm. i'm really looking under any rock i can you know sometimes to a fault of, you know, how can I gain an edge? How can I get faster? How can I feel better? How can I sleep better? I was joking with, um, you know, Miles Wood. Woody. Monster, right? Yeah. And I go up to Woodman and I go, honestly, Woody, I, like, I'm not kidding. I have a serious question. Other than just like on the ice, the work that you do that I see and like, you know, doing your normal workout, you know, whatever the coach says, I was like, do you really do anything to like get faster? Because you're unbelievably fast. Mm-hmm. And Woody goes, no. Such a mild thing to do. He's like, look at all these little idiots. Like they're they're all trying too hard. No, the secret is to not do anything. Look how fast I am. See, it works. 
right? Like <laughs> that's that's marketable. That's endearing to some. Like yeah. people are equally as interested in the guy that you know Travis Ajak, like consummate professional, yeah. mm-hmm. um, you know, detail oriented beyond uh, you know belief. To um, you know, I'll use this example in Toronto, although he, he also works extremely hard despite maybe common narrative, but like, you know, Willie Nylander's mm-hmm. kind of got this, this air bomb. He's just going to show up at the game and, and do his best. I've heard that he's like one of the most hardest working guys behind the scenes. Like he does obscene things. And he's brutally strong. People have no idea how strong he is. He picked up, I think one of our training camps, he picked up 260 or 265 kilos on Hex deadlift. Like it was like for three reps, like it was nothing. I mean, that's 650 pounds ish. So, so let's like, dispel this narrative quickly. Like, like, okay. So I, I won like the fitness belt. Yeah. Uh, I'm in one of the year before and probably would have won it again. You know, he was right in the running like, that's what he picked up. He had a toe injury. So he didn't do the treadmill test. So he was DQ'd and like Willie's right there. So like, okay, what's the narrative on me? Oh, hardworking guy. Yep. Like, you know, built like a brick shit house, you know, in the gym all the time. Brazilian influencer, but Himes, you know, Himes, like the guy, oh. yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> Mike Babcock's like, favorite player. Guy's always getting after it. You know, he, he, he lunch pail guy. Mm-hmm. Willie's a diesel too. Oh yeah. Like, so you what know? you're saying is his, the narrative that he's lazy and doesn't care is completely false. <laughs> what I think did you, there was an article this summer I read. It was Artemi Panarin talking to Lafreniere. Yes. Yeah. And he goes, you know, Hey, a lot of your success in this league, it's, it's, it's not about laps anymore. Mm-hmm. It's about like, you got to be calm up here to see this and, and your hands and you know, letting your shoulders come down. You got to make plays, man. Like you, you, you're a gamer in this league and it's hard to make plays. It's not about, I'm not saying don't skate the laps anymore, but it's not about like digging yourself into a hole with, you know, 60 second drills. And uh, I think you see that with Willie. Like, I think he works very hard. That level of poise and his personality oozes into his game. It's true. And, and the style too. Like it's, it's remarkable off the ice. His name's Willie Styles. Dog issue. Hoagie, come here. Oh yes. We get a dog appearance. Let's get a, let's get a hoagie appearance on the pod. We're like, we're getting ready to to wrap it up, and we get a hoagie appearance. He's coming in hot. Ready? Oh yeah, here we go. Ugh, there he is, hoagie. <laughs> the star of the show. I love it. Oh He's my goodness! So stubborn on quarantine. Mm-hmm. Because no one leaves the house anymore, and so every time you leave the house, he's like, "No, no, no." He's <laughs> got that separation anxiety going on. Oh, yeah. Oh sure. man, what a! I love it. Holy. I'm of the opinion you were talking about discipline before. I'm the opinion that he's never done anything wrong in his life, and to even <laughs> suggest anything of that regard is is blasphemous. Yeah, he um, you turn a blind eye when you're when you look like that. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's, it comes back to the concept of leash we talked about. Exactly, right? it all ties in. Well, you seem to you seem to be pretty wrapped up there, Connor. So I guess we'll we'll, we'll stop taking up all your very important time. Um, thanks so much for coming on, man. This was such an illuminating conversation, and we touched. You know, we really did, as you said, take take the gloves off and talk about a lot of stuff. And you know, it, it was really, like I said, illuminating. So we just want to thank you so much for for taking the time to talk to us. No, I appreciate it. I appreciate your interest, and you know, it's always fun to throw down and 
we talked about all the sweet spot stuff, right? Hockey, podcast, mental health, and and, uh, dog. I don't really talk about much else anymore. And baby. And sure. Well, yeah. And baby. And as long as you're not mad at me for that tweet, that's all that matters. So we're we're good to go. No, not at all. Not at all. All right. Well, thanks so much for coming on, man. We can't thank you enough. Friend of the show forever. 